1: Hello and welcome to the Niall09 podcast. It's Nile and Andrea here. How are you, Andrea? I'm, it's spooky season.
2: I'm good. I'm feeling spooky. Well, um, just yeah. as well,
1: you're feeling spooky because this is a spooky episode. We yeah. have a spooky guest talking about spooky music.
2: Maybe our spookiest guest yet. <laughs> Apart from that so, time, yeah. we had a ghost, but we couldn't put that <laughs> oh, out yeah. because yeah. it corrupted the files and it was a whole thing.
1: Yeah. Uh but this no we the, the files are good. We talked to a uh, composer and uh, Matthew Nolan about uh, his work for Puka Festival, which is happening uh this weekend in the Sound Festival, Puka Festival in a boy trim drawed in Castle in Ireland, where pretty much where sound actually began, mm-hmm. Andrea. So that's what then there's loads of stuff happening as part of um of Puka Festival, lots of gigs and stuff, which uh you can find out more about on PukaFestival.com but we thought it'd be nice to chat to matthew who has done uh, some projection and uh, and audio stuff um for for the festival uh things called double take projections um on slane castle itself and then in the woodlands at slane castle um so really interesting um ideas and we talked to him about some of his favourite kind of horror scores and and kind of inspirations yeah. and also we have uh, the the, the uh, piece of music that he uh, composed for uh, Puka Festival as well and Matthew was formerly in a post-rock band called Triepcano uh, who you may know and uh, they were a band that performed a lot of original live scores for classic um, films like The Cab- Cabinet of Dr. Caligari Metropolis uh, Faust Nosferatu and, and more and um, so we're going to get into that as well so uh, yeah um, Andrea uh, it was. it's a great chat yeah we already and, know it's a great uh, chat look I love I love the spooky season ones I love the I think it's you know sometimes you feel like you're you're maybe worried you're worried about like you know repeating yourself but i think there's enough here that like it's 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 nice and uh, matthew is very
2: well there are some scores that matthew discusses here that i've never heard and there's one or two that you were unfamiliar with and then we also got to chat about some classics as well so yeah i think this is a well-rounded chat and um matthew's very clever
1: so yeah so I enjoyed will,
2: listening to him talking about music
1: You will enjoy um, <laughs> It's uh, patreon.com forward slash 909 To support us and Andrea Has a ghost newsletter
2: Ooh Yeah um, how,
1: how appropriate
2: The uh, link to that will be in the show notes Because I don't remember the, the URL I'm sorry I also have a podcast <laughs> Listen to that
1: Yeah. Uh, what's the name of the podcast?
2: <laughs> My favourite <laughs> album with Andrea clearly season one out know
1: Look, all the show notes, you can have a look there, including a lot of uh, links to uh, Spotify Playlist of all the tracks that you play on uh, the podcast as well. Um, so do go and do that. But for now, do enjoy our chat with Matthew No. So Matthew, how are you?
0: Pretty good today, thanks.
1: Good, good. So you are um, actively involved in the uh, the Puka Festival um, uh, this year in terms of, it is the Salmon Festival that happens across Mead and Loud uh, from October 23rd to the 31st, of course, for Halloween, at Boy, Trim, Drogheda and Slane Castle, which is where a lot of the things that you are involved in are, are taking place. So tell me a little bit about... Um, what what you've done for the festival this year because I guess the background might be you know I know you from um, doing uh, stuff before like uh, silent uh, cinema soundtracks live soundtracks and stuff like that so tell me a little bit about your background and and how you came to Want to scare children um at a well, I, I've
0: always wanted to scare children now and um, this, this, this is nothing new i'm I'm just getting better at it as I get older um, and and certainly becoming becoming a parent helps you refine those skills because um, you've got children mm. to practice on right yeah <laughs> but yeah you, you're right my my kind of kind of i guess relationship with with film music and actually with with music for a horror film goes back nearly twenty years to the beginnings of a of a band that I started in the early noughties called triacano and our specific kind of brief was to was to try and take some primarily German expressionist film and try and, you know, offer them to contemporary audiences in a, in a, in a kind of reimagined way. Um, and I think, you know, for, for me, it was uh, about taking these beautiful films that for a lot of the time have been kind of sitting on the shelf. I mean, certainly cinephiles would be more aware of of the, the legacy of this national cinema from Germany. Um, but they didn't often get theatrical presentations. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of marry something very, very modern, very contemporary with films that are, okay, they're nearly 100 years old, but in truth, I think they feel very contemporary and modern as well, certainly in terms of the types of issues and themes that they're exploring and the manner in which they're trying to unsettle us <laughs> as, as viewers or, or as mm. spectators. So there's something kind of universal there that has kind of stayed with us or stayed embedded within the, the horror genre for, for over 100 years. So I began by writing music or creating a, a sound world for, for the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, um, gosh, I think 17 and a half years ago um we presented a, mm. a show in the sugar club um, it was totally amazing the place was stuffed i didn't know what the next move would be but suddenly people started inviting us to to collaborate and offered alternative titles for us to work with and that was the beginning of a wonderful trajectory that that allowed me to to experiment with sound um you know it's it's, it's very different to being i guess a a hired gun to produce a score for, uh, for a director or for a feature film or for short or whatever that that kind of project, where you're constantly tailoring and refining and changing, and um, what you what what you're doing, e- even if you don't agree with the director, it's it's a constant process and a constant negotiation. Um, whereas in those kind of early three upcano days, uh, we kind of had carp launch. Um, we tried to be respectful. We always tried to be respectful of of what the film was trying to achieve, what the director's vision was. Um, but we also saw uh, an amount of scope for, for, for experimentation. And that's where it all began for me. So, so kind of stepping into you know, the, the, the world of the Puka Festival um, probably came on the back of working closely with the Bram Stoker Festival for several years and, and, and quite a few commissions from those guys going back to 2015, 2016. Um, and then I became aware of of the Puka Festival through a, a, a very good friend of mine called Neve Lunny, um she was started working for them about three and a half years ago um, when they initially got the or the company durated place initially got the tender from from Board So I've been with them for nearly three years now, yeah. <laughs> making things and doing things and contributing to this world that they're creating.
1: So tell me a little bit about what you've done for this year's festival. Um
0: I was given a a a, a, a short brief this year, um and, and this is to go back to this is about scaring little children. Um well, actually, we were given a, a four to five minute section of this wonderful promenade piece um, that is in enclosing in and encircling Slane Castle this year. Uh, and there's, there's, there's a section of the, the woodlands at the back of the castle, which is without any intervention sonically or visually or inter- using lights, is already spooky as hell um, <laughs> um, and Andy Bryden the, the the festival director um invited me to create uh, a piece of sound art and, and visual art as well or um to, to kind of uh, to animate the space and to kind of deepen that sense of dread as you pass by this little little collection of uh, of ash trees and um, and that's what I did uh, the, the the brief was was straightforward um you know getting the visual component to that Right. I mean, there's never getting it right. But, you know, working towards something that was going to work in the space took, took some drafting. Um, but the initial brief for me around sound um, was really straightforward. Andy is a big fan of Colin Stetson. Um, I think I mentioned this to you before, yeah, Nile. Yeah. And uh, and Andy loves the soundtrack to Hereditary, which I also love as well. And I think it's an absolutely terrifying film. Mm. <laughs> um, so that was just one kind of, I guess, kind of creative touchstone that he, 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 he put in my mind 's eye and that began a, a, a journey of just collecting sounds um, sounds that were made either from electric guitar or made from synthesizer um, and that's when I folded a, a good friend and a, a, a fairly long term collaborator now Sean mackerlane um, into the mix um, so he he brought kind of his mixing ears um, and a sense of perspective and also despite the fact that this may seem like a random collection of unusual sounds and frequencies designed to really kind of, uh, I don't know, get under your skin. <laughs> um, we still had to arrange it and map it out and, and, and create an experience because we were very much aware that people will walk through this space. They're not necessarily, some will stand and listen and some will, will walk through the space. And we needed to have the sense of something ever evolving, something that wasn't going to let the listener um, kind of settle it might create the illusion that uh, comfort or comfortable space has been created for them. And then we'd introduce something else that would kind of un- unsettle them. So it's it sounds like a fairly straightforward brief, but actually to compress all that into four minutes, um, you know, required a hell of a lot of, of forethought. Um, and again, just collecting a massive palette of, of, of sounds. Um, and that, that, was the, that was the actual kind of pulling the music together took us a day um i won 't like, <laughs> but but the collecting of sounds that we thought would be appropriate took took weeks and weeks but it 's a great process
2: <laughs> and as as someone who's kind of it takes inspiration from the horror films and the horror soundtracks that you love i I always think that horror is so interesting, especially for, um people who compose for horror because there is more than any other genre really there is this kind of deep bedded language in in how horror is scored um and I always feel like composers are either working within it or working against that as opposed to kind of more traditional, you know, like fantasy scores or, you know, I saw Dune the other day and that was its own thing. It had kind of horror elements in it as well. Um, what, what what, kind of, what elements, um, and, and we will probably talk about a, a, a few of them when we get onto your your tracks here, but what what would you say are the kind of the core elements of horror scoring, even in terms of instrumentation, different tones, different uh, how, how different tones work with one another that you find particularly interesting and that you find crops up in, in your work?
0: Well, I, I think what I keep returning to whenever I'm presented with a brief like the Puka one or if it's, you know, a, a more extended kind of feature is uh, I don't think about instrumentation necessarily first. I don't I certainly don't think about kind of melody or harmonic structure the first things that i think about are texture um and and it is about building a kind of a, a set of ideas that i think somehow map onto or ins- or, or kind of align themselves with what's happening vi- vi- visually um or the visual texture as it were um and once i've got that then it is about kind of you know kind of teasing out kind of ideas i tend not to think in two o- overtly musical terms when it comes to horror soundtrack. Okay. I think that comes at the, at the very end. Mm. <laughs> um, That's really I interesting. Think, yeah, I think, I think obvious motifs um, tend to be leading um, when it comes to horror music. Um, I also think, you know, most of what I really enjoy within the, the horror genre, this is a very general kind of, kind of comment, is that horror at its best um, is manipulating, manipulating you through what it's not allowing you to see and what's not allowing you to hear <laughs> yeah so, so the movement between sound and the absence of sound for me and horror is is really important, so understanding where space is required and then what kind of texture to introduce is for me the beginning point of any uh, attempt to, to create music to accompany uh, a, a horror movie. then after that, you kind of think about instrumentation if the, you know if I want to think through you know, leitmotifs or, or some recurring motifs that, that, that might serve the film well, then I'll start thinking along those lines. But I generally don't. Um, I think, you know, refusing the spectator um, uh, uh, enough to latch on to to create overt meaning mm. <laughs> is kind of what I aspire to. Like, and I, I think I really our are light some...
2: motifs a bit old fashioned in horror now. Are they, oh, to- are they totally, gone out of yeah. fashion a bit? We kind of haven't had a big one in a long time.
0: No, we haven't. And and I think I I sometimes think that, you know, a lot of film music as it's evolved into in the last kind of 10, 10 to 15 years has probably in some ways become a little bit lazy Mm. in that it doesn't use leitmotifs where they could be, you know, really serve a huge dramatic and more narrative Mm. uh, function. Um, But I can also understand why that sense of texture using that full frequency spectrum that you can explore, um, especially in modern theatres um, yeah. and all of those sub frequencies that you can use um, in a way. It's 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 now I'm not saying it's easy, um, but you can go into that part of the frequency spectrum and do amazing work
3: yeah. <laughs>
0: very quickly. Uh, so I, I sometimes think, yeah, for the most part, that's what's appropriate to horror film. But again, occasionally something is crying out for, for a motif for mm. something that's going to get under your skin. Um, and yeah, you're right. It has been a while. Yeah, it has
2: been. been I, I thought Dune could have done one. That, that, that was that was my big takeaway when I came out of the cinema the other day. I was like, I would have liked okay. a melody. <laughs> 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 well, we get on to some of these tracks then. I'm dying to jump yeah, in. Yeah. Well, yes, you did yeah. mention
1: Under the Skin. So no better place to start than the uh, Mica mm. score for Under the Skin. And the uh, track you particularly chose. Now, it is a long one, so we won't be able to get it all. But uh, Lipstick mm-hmm. to Void is the track. And uh, let's hear a bit of it now. There's so much there in terms of, you know, like you're talking, like it really does, it's unsettling, it's unnerving, it has that spaciousness to it, it has that um, that ambience to it, there's a tapping percussion there, it kind of like also calls back a little bit to maybe kind of uh, Bernard Herrmann's psycho like, oh Norman Bates kind of stuff, that very like dragging string. So you picked this, Matty, so tell me a bit about why this shines with you.
0: Well, for for me, it's 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 the sheer simplicity of it, um, and and what Levy kind of builds upon this simple, repetitive bass drum kind of hit um, that has been EQ'd to really kind of reverberate. Um, so it's that coupled with the the kind of electronic manipulation that's going on of certain sounds, and also the electronic manipulation, only partial, of uh, of the string lines um, that that have been kind of created for it, um, and I think. What, what you have with the string line over this repetitious beat is, is a sense of movement that is totally restless. Um, and I, I that's one thing that I really kind of uh, appreciate in her, in her, sorry, um, in her kind of scoring, especially within this film um, is, is to never let you settle. Um, there may be one recurring central repetitive element to the music um, which grounds you or certainly creates the illusion of, of, of a grounding. Um, and that you're in some kind of safe space or relative space, safe space narratively or control space. Um, and then she starts to kind of, uh, throw in elements that, that utterly destabilize you as, as a viewer. Um, and it's, uh, it's almost the same palette that she uses across the film. It's the same kind of almost triptych of electronics. Unusually modulating strings, Um, and then I think that that kick drum is relentless. Yeah, and it's I find it absolutely terrifying. It is. It's It's like
2: it's like um, Um, uh, somebody walking down the corridor towards you. Like it's it's very it's very ominous. And I think I I actually only saw this film like for the first time a few months ago, so it's 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 pretty fresh in my head. And I think I remember throughout this film there being times when. The score kind of gets very loud um, and all of all of the, those different elements kind of build up at one moment and it's almost unbearable to listen to but right right at the moment where it's not bearable anymore it'll it'll just kind of pull back well, like, it won't it won't really push you over the edge, which I appreciate. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, well there, there, there there's a there are moments of respite like mm. that and I think you know I think you need those otherwise the score starts to lose its impact. Yeah. Um and I and I think you know in that film uh you know the director allows for those extended moments of ab- almost visual and sonic abstraction mm. um which for me are hugely exciting and, and 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 absolutely um horrific. Um I I saw it about 5 years ago my my other half was away in San Francisco. Um, and I had a young child upstairs, and I watched it, and I had to stop it halfway mm-hmm. through. I found the whole thing overwhelming, um, and then I watched it the rest of it the next night, um, and started watching the, the the credit roll at the end, and I spotted two musicians that I knew oh, wow. in in the credit roll, one who had just passed away.
3: Wow!
0: Um, so so the the film took on a, a, another kind of resonance for me just by dint of of. You know that that credit rolls every time I think of Levy's music, I think of of you know of 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 this person. So it it has that extra tragic dimension to me, for me rather. You know, beyond it just being a, an excellent example of you know a contemporary, modern, but also a score that's definitely in dialogue with um music from the past. I mean, you go back to what is probably considered the first great symphonic score, which is Max Steiner's score for for King Kong in the early 1930s. The way percussion is used in that and big percussion is used is not dissimilar to, albeit Levy's using it in a much more rudimentary and minimalist fashion, but it's used in a similar way (laughs) to create that sense of a a foreboding presence that isn't going anywhere.
1: Yeah. And like, how much is this, do you think, is in the mixing of a track like this? Because there's so much of that that kind of liminal atmosphere that's in the film in that kind of black space that she's in, um, you know, the blank space, whatever you want to call it, but it has that kind of, this has that quality to it as well, doesn't it?
0: Well, I, I think that's a, that's a director that's, you know, really confident in allowing their composer to fill all of the sonic space um, um, and to create all of, well, not all of, but to, to contribute to the drama. Um, that's unfolding on screen. There's not many directors, I think, that would allow that kind of uh, almost impressionism to take hold in a a film sequence. They'd be too afraid. And there's not a lot of dialogue Um, in
2: this film. This isn't a very dialogue-heavy film. So the score is doing a lot of work. It's doing a lot more work than than a score might usually do in in a horror film or in a kind of a, a contemporary sort of popular horror film, certainly.
0: No, you're totally right. And, and it, it kind of mm-hmm. needs to, um, because because I think the film, there's a lot of these kind of long airs where very little happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you need to have your interest and your curiosity maintained. Yeah. As, as you're watching this holy bizarre yeah. and And beyond waiting for Scarlett
2: out. Johansson's terrible wig to fall off, which is what I spent <laughs> uh, quite a bit of the film. Yeah. <laughs> during, during any parts of the film when I got too scared, I just kept focusing on her wig and saying, it's a wig, it's a wig, it's a wig. And that okay, helped me okay. through it. <laughs> That's, okay, right.
0: Well, now I have something to latch onto yeah, for the yeah. next time. Thanks. Yeah, my
2: <laughs> other big tip for glasses wearers, if you get scared at a film, just take off your glasses for a little bit. and wait it out we move on to the next uh the next choice the dome
1: yeah so this is from logan's run so let's uh let's play a bit over here this is the dome from jerry goldsmith has yes, the Dome uh, composers Jerry Goldsmith um, the album uh, well, the, the movie it's from is Logan's Run which I don't think I've only ever seen really on TV over the years Do you know that kind of way I've never
2: seen it I've
1: yeah. never oh, seen Logan's I, I have
0: two memories of it uh, the movie and the TV series okay. yeah, yeah of course the TV series was, was a big thing when I was a kid um, and I think that probably led me to, 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 to the movie Um, and it's a movie that I kind of revisit regularly and, and it's, it's, it's a film that I treat more as a horror movie um, than a, a science fiction film, as it's often kind of a kind of ill it, poorly categorised as. Um, and that piece of music, or that, that's a suite of music, there's so much happening across those couple of minutes, is, is for me a great example of two kind of musical histories across the 20th century meeting, or musical cultures, um, and that's the use of synthesised music um, and the use of uh, an orchestra. But the use of an orchestra in a much more radical Way and the use of dissonance um, in a way. I guess you know, if you can go back to the likes of Bernard Herman and composers like that who were experimenting in, in 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 that kind of way with with string ensembles. But this is a wonderful collision of the, the electric, the synthesized, and the more traditional kind of instrumentation. Um, it's also uh, an example of, I think, a piece of music that contains kind of multiple motifs occurring at the same time um so it kind of it, it it serves the film well um as a as a way of of, of reminding but well, certainly reminds the audience at the, at the start of the movie uh of some of the musical ideas that are going to, to kind of present themselves across the, I, the
2: narrative i'm mad in thinking that the opening bit there that we listen to that that is either parodied or changed slightly to be sideshow bob's um, music <laughs> in the Simpsons. I really, know, I really hope so. I think so I'm, yeah. I'm nearly certain it is. It's that. It's the. It's the three tones moving down. Watch a clip of "Sideshow Bob" and the Simpsons, and then listen okay. to that. I'm nearly certain, and I googled <laughs> okay. it, and I couldn't see that it that that was something that they had like actively done. Okay. But I I think oh. I think they're the same little motif. Um,
0: I think you've stumbled on a ninja. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'll I mean, be absolutely really delighted if I have, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> but it is, um, it's, it's the same to me. It sounds the same as when you're, when they're zooming in on Springfield prison, we're about to see Bob. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, it was an interesting time, wasn't it? For, for, I guess the evolution of the, the, I mean, the synthesizer within kind of, kind of more mainstream music, but also its use in, in, in film. Um, and I think there there are great examples from the early seventies. I think probably the most radical and the most prominent um, would be the the work that Walt, Wendy Carlos was making um, for 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 Stanley Kubrick. Um, but I do think there's something in Goldsmith's music where there's this really beautiful clash. Um, you know, this is the early nineteen seventies. You know, when that old way of making music for film was starting to fade um always getting radicalized and then all of this new technology was was showing us a a totally different way um and that the synthesizer could be just as a motive um, and create just as dramatic a score as as an orchestra. I'm sure there's a lot of you know arrangers and orchestrators and composers who who work the old old way. We're going Jesus, I think we're going to be out yeah to keep <laughs> yeah. It
2: sounds kind of simultaneously golden age and futuristic, or kind of yeah. re- retro fu- yeah. futuristic at at the same yeah. time. Because those those big sweeping yeah. strings they do kind of say yeah. Hollywood production. But once once you bring in that that synthesizer, which to us sounds good, kind of it, it does sound like 1970s synthesizers and it's, 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 it's totally and dated, so charming you know. <laughs> because of that and i mean i th- I think you see that kind of returning now though like little motifs like that in stranger things and it follows and there's a few horror scores that have sort of bit, like harkened back to that to that sound just because i think yeah. it is so charming but i suppose at the time yeah it would have sounded quite futuristic and a bit scary because of it in a cyber yeah. film Look.
0: Like I said, I think I think that almost uh, the, the history of, of film music up until that point is there embedded within that suite, you know, going all the way back to those early symphonic works, um, you know, right through to the more kind of um, modernist stuff or, you know, certainly the, 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 the more dissonant stuff in the, in the late 50s and early 60s and then the, the elements of the, the dissonant brass and dissonant string arrangements in that and how they dovetail seamlessly into the electronic sequences. And um, which also are quite Um are just to me it, it's astonishing that a composer was able to move between these two spaces, um, whatever that is, fifty years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Very good. Okay, so your next choice is actually a Russian composer, and I believe is, is mm-hmm. this the one of the reasons why your band was called Kano? Um, it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah it's d- deeply pretentious, uh, <laughs> as 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 I'm sure we can all agree. But yeah, we. we the, the, the name was borrowed from from Andrei Tarkovsky's film Mirror, um, but this piece of music is uh, is by uh, Edward Artemyev, who was uh, quite a significant significant collaborator um, of of Tarkovsky's, and this is a a section or a sequence from um, from his great science fiction movie uh, Solaris, um, and again we're back to kind of. Uh, a kind of minimalist kind of musical terrain. This is almost ambient um, music. But if you listen carefully, there's, and if you listen, there's a kind of, there's kind of granular detail here um, that I think is quite radical um, and avant-garde, you know, given that it's whatever, what it is now. I think the movie is 50 years old next right. year. Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's play a passage from this as well. So again, this is uh, seven minutes long, so we can't get the whole thing. But if there's any other passage there, imagine you think we should be uh, playing. If no, no, it's one
0: of these pieces that kind of slo- slowly morphs, uh, returns the, never quite returns to the same spot, but y- you do feel in in some ways that it's it's quite static, but it does gradually um, kind of grow and fade, and elements appear and then s- disappear. Like they might fade out across two or three minutes, um, but Ar- Ar- Artemyev was was unusual in his approach to to scores for Tarkovsky um, and especially Solaris. He used a very unusual um, photoelectric synthesizer, um, which didn't have a traditional keyboard. So he was definitely working outside of the the kind of the twelve tone realm yeah. <laughs> that 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 we're all kind of familiar with. Um, and I think in a way, what what you have with uh, Artemyev's music. And, you know, almost sound design for Solaris is is the beginnings of where sound design and music start to complement each other um, and where a significant amount of thought was starting to be given to how sound design and music need to kind of coexist and interrelate and overlap when it comes to film production. Yeah, I wonder how
2: difficult it thing- is to like when, once you're like moving outside of that 12 tone structure as a composer is is one thing, but then also kind of working with, um, you know, experimental new instruments and also then working with a film. I imagine it must be so difficult to stay tethered and to create a soundtrack slash soundscape in a way that also sounds consistent and like it, like one piece belongs to the next piece over the course of a film. And I mean, is it, is it the visuals that, that keeps that, that that would keep a composer like this tethered because otherwise I could imagine you just I, I go off so. in mad directions. I, well
0: I, I I think you very easily mm. could and I think this is this is where you know Tarkovsky is, is unusual in the way in his visual design and his approach to editing mm. Um, he was really uh uh what would you say he really was suspicious of the cut, right. <laughs> um, as, as as a way of moving us around as spectators, mm. um, as a way of engendering meaning or repositioning us as, as spectators. Um, he would allow scenes and action to unfold across two, three, four, five, and in some cases, in the last film he made, the sacrifice. There's one sequence shot that lasts for over ten minutes. Um So if you if you if you think about that in relation to Solaris, it being you know. Superficially, a science fiction film, but really, it's a it, it's a ghost story. Um, that's I think fundamentally what it is. Um, and uh, you think about those scenes that are loud, which are quite languid, um, where time unfolds in a different way. It's not cinematic time as we know it. Um, he's certainly inviting us to take you know in a way that you don't get with mainstream film. A lot more kind of responsibility for. For creating meaning um, out of what it is that we see, so I think that um, leaves a huge amount of space for a composer like Artemiev to explore these long, kind of drone-like kind of musical gestures, um, and to allow that to overlap with 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 the kind of the sound design work um, that, that 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 contributes to you know the kind of to, to, to drama on screen. So I think that's the only way. It could have, yeah. worked. <laughs> you know, you know, you, you couldn't have used, you know, Artem Yet's music on, say, 2001, A Space Odyssey, a film that is so meticulously edited um, and actually in a lot of ways is edited to music. Some of those sequences are edited beautifully to, 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 to resonate with the, with the music that, that, that Kubrick chose. So, you know, you're, you're definitely in wholly different cinematic terrain with, with Tarkovsky. Um, and I think it's, it's why we have something so beautiful and beautifully apt for for this very tender and very moving and deeply melancholic um film. Um, which which actually I'm I'm myself and, and Steve Shannon now you'll be interested to hear and you Andrea, we've we've been commissioned by the Film Society at the Lincoln Center in New York oh. to uh, to rescore Solaris oh, wow. for for a special presentation. Congratulations, that's um, fantastic. This, the, yeah, it's, t- it's totally wow. amazing. So this time next year we'll be presenting wow. a, a, a new a new oh, score. Have you started working Yeah. No, we're we're going to get work on it pretty soon. We're just trying to finish off a, an actual film score right. that we're we're collaborating on. But it's it's the that's most so exciting, exciting thing to happen in the calendar <laughs> wow. for next year. Yeah, that's like,
1: pretty. By, by pretty close to your origin story. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing.
2: Are, is wow. it daunting?
1: It is
0: because I think our TVF score is almost mm. perfect. <laughs> So 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 it is. So you just make um, those few okay. little
2: tweaks then and make it perfect and just
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> put I'll, your name yeah, on I'll it. just, I'll just, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll filter it ever so slightly and, you know, a few little EQ no, changes. An electric and,
2: guitar wouldn't but, go amiss. That'd be my only note. But you know, other than that, yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, I, again, I, I would see, you know, in, in that creative kind of workflow, um, you know, we've already spoken about the need for possible mm. motifs, mm. Um you know, that, okay, you can have music that just hangs there and has a presence that's palpable. You're rarely, you know, you're rarely aware of it as a musical presence, but you are aware yeah. of it. Um, but, you know, there's there's a sense that maybe we could do a little bit more. We'd still stay respectful of how Tarkovsky saw music being used and how it interacted um, with, with the drama on screen and, and sound design, but maybe take teeny tiny bits of creative license. Yeah. <laughs> That's ones,
2: so exciting! <laughs>
1: That's yeah, brilliant. It really is. That's
2: um, thing, yeah. Okay, so our next one is.
1: Well, uh, this one needs no introduction. Oh,
2: sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That is, of course, John Carpenter's uh, iconic theme for Halloween and uh, apparently composed uh, the whole thing in three days, um, the score three days. And he said that that rhythm was inspired by an exercise my father taught me on the bongos in 1961, the beating out of 5-4 time. So that's oh, where he said he got yeah. that. So, yeah, simple, simple, but effective. <laughs>
0: and, and that's it. You know, I mean, I think it's a great example of how, uh, you know, synthesized music or electronic music can create something just as as lush, just as present and something just as potent as as, as an orchestra. Um, and it's in its simplicity that it's really compelling. Um, It's a a simple repetition of the the piano line, you know, that very simple but carefully modulating synth line that he overlays. Then there's another one that he overlays on that. And then what you've already outlined, Niall, which just creates, you know, constant intrigue and keeps you going is that 5-4 rhythm. 5-4 rhythm sounds like someone running away from something. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, so that's, you know, that that gets the pulse going, that gets the adrenaline moving. Um, and it's it's a really simple piece of, of psychological manipulation. Mm. And in terms <laughs> in, of those in, motifs that we
2: were talking about, I mean, this has surely got yeah. to be the 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 finest example of one that was composed specifically, rather. Um, I mean, Michael Fields' tubular bells for The Exorcist is obviously, you know, um, was was its own piece, but but excellently used there. But this, I mean, this has to be. The, the one this is the one that you know that, that people parody yeah, that they copy the like this is this is yeah, the horror yeah. soundtrack
0: yeah yeah this is the, the yeah this is the platonic form like, one, yeah. of all <laughs> modern synthesized i mean don't don't get me wrong tubular bells is wonderful but you know William Freakin had a, another great composer working on that film. Who yes, started, yeah. <laughs> which I always think is I astonishing.
3: Know.
0: <laughs> and, and walked in with the, 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 an old yeah. A track and went, this is what we're using. So, and it is, you can't imagine The Exorcist without mm. that music. Um, but it is, and it's a great example of found music being, you know, re- repurposed. Mm. But, you know, as you said, no, for this to have come out of a three-day kind of creative burst. Yeah. Um, and probably because they feck all money, mm. <laughs> um, you know, working on a, on, a, on a small budget. Um, I've heard stories about the production. Um, a, a very dear friend of mine who's recently retired um, from Trinity College, Matthew Cossey, his brother, Tommy, um, who I've gotten to know well over the years, was was Carpenter Sandman for about 20 years. So he tells great stories about being wow. on set for, for Halloween and all of them just kind of working away. There's only a small crew of about 15 people. Um, they had very little money. Nobody thought for a second they were working on what would become a an iconic horror yeah. movie. They just thought, yeah, this is kind of a clever movie. Um, and they moved on. And several months later, um, when it when it hit the theatres, they, they couldn't believe the kind of explosion of interest and absolute terror. <laughs> yeah. I think I've
2: seen fo- photographs created- like just from, you know, disposable camera. It's like, you know, the, the last day of shooting on Halloween. And it's just kind of people yeah. standing around like they've no idea, yep. Yep. <laughs> that yep. they've, you know, changed horror <laughs> cinema forever. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, we finished the film now. Hopefully I'll get commissioned to do something else soon and move on then. But well, that, that's kind, kind of, of it. They're
0: all in the early days of the career. And and I guess, you know, Carpenter is is a great uh, kind of the way he makes film. It's really lean and spare. And, you know, I mean, he's a big fan of Howard Hawks, so kind of, He's kind of minimalist in, in his own way. You know so, yeah. People talk about Halloween as being one of the great horror movies in terms of it being bloody and gory. Yeah. And it's not at all, no. um, you know, n- nothing really scary happens until about 70 minutes into the movie. I mean, the
2: scariest thing that happened slow... in that film is, is somebody walks out from behind a bush, you know what I mean? And that's that yeah, yeah, will put yeah. chills up my spine, like for the rest yeah. of my life, Or you know, somebody standing yeah. amongst some washing on a line. It, it, it's it's those yeah. things. It's, it's less enough. About the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, oh, it
0: is enough. And managing mm. tension and, and the slow ramping up of tension. And then when you've got a director who's done that, you know, visually and is now ready to supplement it and reinforce that through music, then then you've got this beautiful combination. And, and I, I, I honestly can't think of of a, of a filmmaker and composer in one yeah. person who can match
2: Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, have you any interest in seeing the the remake or the, the I, second I half of yeah. the remake? Or Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> are they still it's using just, just the kind of music, curiosity. are they still using that theme in, in the new? Well, he's still
0: involved in the score, right. so I guess it's, it must be variation on, you know, the, the yeah. original it
2: themes. It might have like a seat, drum beat something underneath, underneath or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> his, his son is now yeah. involved in that oh, whole thing. Okay. Like his son does stuff. Yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah, so they had a new. I mean, he releases albums on Sacred Bones of all of his music, and mm. I think his son yeah, is the most. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, he,
0: yeah. The son is in the band, the touring band with. Him that's and, right. Yeah, and yeah, I, I I was didn't get to go and see them a couple of years ago. I was too busy working on a, a horror movie project mm. actually. Um, but he played in Vicar Street. It was one of one of Timo's mm. yeah. Um which apparently was glorious.
1: Very good. Alright, um our next uh track is a the lullaby from Rosemary's Baby um from Christoph that's Comida. That's that <laughs> Um, so that is Mia Farrow at the end there, I believe, um, singing over that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. kind of just a bit unnerving again. <laughs> it's just like, like, um, not sh- sure well, what's going on. So I'm just gonna la la over the top of this. Well, <laughs>
0: well now, now that I think about it, there's probably much more unnerving variations on that. Mm. Piece. Yeah. Um, you, you utilize within the film. But you know, f- for me, it's it's that meeting of uh, you know, uh, and in an, what is a relatively, what we assume is a relatively innocent childhood song, or a song that you know would traditionally be sung for four children, and um, being quite radically <laughs> recontextualized. Re- re- it's also an example of of uh of you know something that's more from the jazz idiom, kind of moving its way into into kind of mainstream film scoring, um and you know Christoph Komeda is one of one of the great um kind of jazz composers um or or composed within that kind of idiom um so you know for me it's 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 not the great example of 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 jazz being used in film but it is an unusual collision of you know music that we associate with relative innocence mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh that particular idiom being overlaid um on a, a film that is deadly deadly serious mm-hmm. i mean it's there are kind of gothic comedic moments in it but it's a film that absolutely terrifies me it's it's one of a handful of films i saw when i was far too young oh no um up there with yeah with the exorcist i think when i was about eight Mm -hmm. or nine these are real the the kind of defining formative moments for me unfortunately or fortunately Mm -hmm. i don't know the other was dawn of the dead Ah. um when i was around the same age and rosemary's baby Mm -hmm. Not a good thing to be showing yeah. but you know, it was the eighties in
2: Ireland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not <fun. laughs> Yeah, but I what I love about that that particular section of the score is that if you were to listen to a divorce from the context of the film, up until Mia Farrow starts singing, there's not a massive sense of foreboding in, in the I mean it, it it's quite romantic or maybe a bit melodramatic or something. It's really sweeping and um There's a big focus on melody, and I think if you were to listen to it, aside from you, you think it reminds me of like the the opening numbers in um in Inglorious Bastards, for example. um I think there, I know Quentin Tarantino is a massive, massive fan of of, of this film, so I, I can imagine that that was a bit of a touch point for him there. But um yeah, it is. It's quite a sweeping, romantic-sounding score, which which is fitting, I suppose. Um, in terms of how you are wrong-footed within the film about what what you kind of think it's going to be about and what it actually is about, you know.
0: Well, it's it's the use of that that kind of simple motif. You know, you, you see it again in in, in Nicholas Rogue's um, Don't Look mm-hmm. Now. Um, you see it in um, that film from about like Let the Right One In. Yes, is.
2: yeah.
0: S- similar motifs being yeah. used, um, and maybe it's fallen into kind of film music cliche you know to to use that kind of melody Mm. um um when it comes to children or children in peril still
2: yeah i mean i think i I think when it's not done well it's when you move into like nursery rhyme territory with (laughs)
3: little children like skipping and
2: doing the the is that from the the freddy films isn't that in that and yeah it just sort of like a Twinkle, twinkle, little star, but put it in a minor key or something. I think that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's when it starts to get a bit cheap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, here, yeah, here might be lazy. the genesis of of um, of so many of those kind of um, iterations of of the that's children's uh, children's music being spooky as it should yeah, be. So, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Our next track is from a film I'm not familiar with, so maybe you can tell me what it's like. And Nad- Nadja, so it's uh, Simon Fisher-Turner and speak. Uh, well, Species Nadja from 1994. Um, a horror film um, directed by Michael Almereida right you've seen the film obviously so
0: I have seen the film it's, it's a David Lynch production ah. which should give you some insight into I see <laughs> and it, it, it's a loose very loose remake of an old film from the 30s called Dracula's Girl. okay very good. so just to give you
1: let's play a bit of the track then <laughs> That might be one for me to watch this uh, in this week, since as I've never seen it. So that's uh, from Nadja, that's Simon Fisher-Turner on Isle of Species.
2: I think we're starting to see a pattern here with um, with your choices in terms of kind of long drones and then uh, electronic elements yeah. kind of coming in. Well,
0: th- this one was kind of uh, inspiring for me. Um, uh, like I, I certainly wasn't aware of the film when it came out in the mid-90s. It was four or five years later. Um, and I was kind of drawn to it after um, obsessing over the, the films of Hal Hartley for a few years and seeing that one of uh, Hartley's go to actors, Martin Donovan, was in this odd new vampire movie. So I I, I rented it out and sat and, and, and watched uh, a very unusual uh, grafting of almost every, <laughs> not every, but so many ideas from Dracula films um, and vampire literature. All crafted into this single movie set in in contemporary New York in the in the mid nineteen nineties. Um, so the film itself is is uh, is is quite extraordinary as as this kind of kind of intertextual extravaganza. Um, but what what I found fascinating is that most of what Simon Fisher Turner does is he begins making sounds using a guitar, and I'm first and foremost a guitarist, and I, and I like to manipulate sounds. F- using the guitar now it might be using it's rarely using any anything beyond pedals or a suite of pedals. Um, but that's what he's doing here. Um, there's very little by way of electronic music, as we know it, um, evolving across this piece. There are some, but for the most part, these are ideas that have, you know, started on guitar or have been repitched um, and and reconstituted to, to obviously to, to fit a sequence um in the film so that's i found this kind of inspiring <laughs> um to know that you can you can begin um ideas on a guitar and end up um with something that kind of detailed yeah. and sounding that um, and much that away
2: that far away from guitar music
0: yeah yeah so so that's where i think you know Simon fisher turner is, is is quite inspiring and and that was a a kind of pivotal moment for me and and thinking through you know how that kind of music can be re-grafted onto, onto film. Like another, I remember seeing the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in the IFI, God, 18 or 19 years ago. And the projectionist presented it with no, uh, with no film. I don't know if there were or no, no music rather. right, And I don't know if there was no optical track on the print, but they just presented it so- silently. Wow. Um, and it was deeply unnerving um, and so compelling. Once you get used to, this way of watching this world unfold—it was uh, became really compelling. And I remember looking to the fill them up afterwards, and looking for soundtracks. And I saw that the late great Mark Linkhouse from Sparkle Horse mm. um, had made a, a soundtrack starting with guitar. And I thought that—that's what inspired me to kind of start with a guitar, yeah. <laughs> an electric guitar, and think, okay, this—this this is can be a potent tool for, for for creating film music, and especially for creating music for horror movies. Um so so that that was kind of I, I chose that because it's it's as much inspirational um in the way it's designed as 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 for what it sounds like and and, and necessarily mm. for the film that it came. From.
2: I think I've only seen the cabinet of Dr. Caligari silent as well. I saw it in a film studies lecture and I can't imagine it would have played a yeah, I don't remember there being any music alongside it. Bloody yeah. scary though. Yeah. Bloody oh, scary film. Yeah. Even now, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, it it, it hasn't no, dated no. at all. Um, not at all. No, not at all. And actually the, the last kind of film soundtrack gig that I did in Dublin was last February. Um, was uh, the a hundredth anniversary screening of that yeah. with myself and Sean McElane, Adrian Crowley, uh Neil O'Connor. yeah, and the great Barry Adamson. Um grateful and we presented it in Saint Anne's Church. And then three weeks later the shutters
3: came down. <laughs>
1: We're we're back now though, it's fine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our final two choices are from uh both from 2018 actually. So um this is uh Stuart A. Staples and the fuck box from uh Hot the High Life, High Life, the film. That is certainly making its presence felt. That is uh Stuart Staples, who maybe may would know as uh, the uh, singer in Tindersticks, Sticks who also has done a lot of film composer for uh, film compositions for Claire Dennis, um, including this film, High Life. I've never I don't think I've ever seen High Life.
0: It's uh it's deeply unsettling stuff. Um, I'm not going to go into any great detail about what's happening in this scene, um, lest my children burst in <laughs> while I'm mid-explanation. Uh, it would be wholly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's, for me, it's, it's uh, I mean, listen, the, the film is, 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 worth, is worth seeing. I think Claire Denis is, is one of the great, if not the greatest, living director um, working in film. Uh, and her understanding of music and the kind of creative license that she's given Tindersticks. Sticks you know, with um, four or five or maybe five or six of our movies over the last 25 years is is pretty astonishing. You know, they really are, you know, morphing into one of those great director-composer, you know, relationships that we have, you know, dotted across in you know, the last 100 years or so, well, 90 years or so. Um, but for me, this is interesting because I think this is a piece of music that is very much something that comes out of the studio and comes out of uh, experimenting within, you know, a, a digital kind of workstation. Um, th- this is not necessarily a, a piece of music that is, is preconceived in any way. It's in a, in a lot of ways, it's probably kind of like how I approached the, the piece of music for, for the Puka Festival, which was to pick lots of unusual ideas and take an almost collage junk approach um, to how I was going to assemble them. Now, clearly in the context of the scene, that, that as, as it exists in, in, in the high life, um, there's something pretty uh, obvious uh, developing. Um, and you can hear in the music there, even the kind of delineaments of recognisable acoustic instrumentation starting to present themselves. But it definitely starts off in really angular and kind of knotted um, terrain. Um, and I kind of like that. I like that, that ability to kind of keep us in difficult terrain um, and not be afraid to kind of challenge um, the spectator or challenge the listener even. Um, and certainly that's what uh, like Andy offered myself and Sean with, with Puka was, was a chance to be really left field in how we presented music in the woods um, and to take us into that particular kind of uh, dramatic space. I don't know, you know, again, I haven't been, I'm going to go down on Halloween and do the walkabout. Myself. Right. So, um, uh, so I haven't actually done the full walkabout right, okay. so experience at all. Yeah. So
1: you haven't test driven it yourself, there's no like you haven't been there in the But dark. we
0: have test driven it, but only our but only our section. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, the whole thing. So we, right, we of course so. Had, yeah. So we had a tech day. So I want to see it as part of the, the mm. you know in a in a more holistic way and just see if it does stand out. Yeah. And I hope it really stands out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but that, that certainly that was the ambition for myself and, and Sean and for and for Kenny, the the videographer, um, and for uh, Catherine O'Malley, the dancer that we got involved to help create the, the, the video piece. Well, we'll play some um, of uh,
1: this uh, your piece at the end. Now, um uh, but, great. but the last last your last choice is uh from unfortunately Johan Johansen's uh, maybe like f- second last ever score, certainly the biggest one uh for Mandy uh, before he passed away. Um, obviously uh, a film starring Nicolas Cage and uh, a very bloody Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. I still don't know how I felt about Mandy at all. I'm still like, I'm still unnerved by the whole thing. Uh, But the track you picked is called Forging the Beast. Let's play it. So the film obviously has a very big performance from uh Nicolas Cage and that is very suitably uh, large, Are there any other uh, kinds of performances well. from no, Nicolas Cage? No, no. Yeah. yeah, you know, a subtle, a subtle well. performance from uh, Nicolas Cage. Not gonna happen. Um <laughs> so why did you pick this one?
0: Um well I mean it's it's probably the last horror movie that I saw that I I, I really enjoyed. Um I just it's 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 a film so excessive <laughs> <laughs> in terms of performance. Uh, cinematography, the music. Um, it was overwhelming, but in, in a really kind of glorious mm. way. Um, and it's in a, it's in dialogue with, you know, any number of kind of sub-genres in the history of horror movie or horror film. Um, it's also, I think, Johan Johansson, one of his finest works. Um, uh, I think I wanted to get him in somewhere into this kind of list. And uh, this was kind of the obvious one. So, because for me, this is kind of where um synthesized music um and music that we associate with horror film, um more kind of dissonant um traditional forms and glam rock.
2: <laughs> <meat>. <laughs> together at last.
0: <laughs> yeah, together at last. And and that's kind of what the the, the soundtrack mm. feels like to me is you know it's really bombastic. Yeah. It's really over the top. And in and in a way which is not thing you would necessarily associate with a film like this. It's kind of fun. Mm. Um, and and I think given how relentless the movie is in other ways, um, relentlessly grim, bloody, violent um, and nihilistic, um, it kind of needs a little bit of fun. Mm. Um, and I think that's what Johansson provides for this film. You know, it's, it's incredibly nuanced, but it's very present. Mm. Um, and I think that's why I kind of uh, alighted upon, upon this as the, the kind of the last piece in in this kind of suite, I could have gone on and on mm. and really kind of bored you. Well,
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, never. We love. We usually
1: limit to five, but we let you away with it this yeah, time. You time you it. Uh, I
3: appreciate it. <laughs> you know,
0: thank you.
1: Thanks. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we'll finish with your, with your own piece as well. Um, and before, well, I guess we we'll play out with that, but is there anything you'd like to say about that? Although that you haven't already said in terms of, you know, construction. And it's certainly like if you're, if you're putting music in an outdoor space or in a space like that, like, is it like atmosphere and elements can change so many different things and experience of all that. And like, the,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things and am um, Sean is, is more experienced with kind of sound installation work than I am. And certainly, you know, the, the opportunity to use kind of multi-channel um, um, presentation. And, um, and certainly that's great when you're in a totally controlled indoor environment. Um, we had to have a long think about just how clever we wanted to be outdoors and to what extent that might diminish the impact of, of the music. You know, if we had little elements over here, like if we had six speakers and, you know, stuff being kind of yeah. f- filtering from all kinds of directions... Was it going to dilute the experience? And once we were down in the forest or in the woodland wood area, um, we realised that it would. So we we had some decision, technical decisions to make, as well as kind of creative and aesthetic ones around sound choices and general construction. And that was to just presented in a really st- sim- simple stereo mix, um, which gives a kind of uniformity to, to how you hear the sounds and this kind of sound world as, as it kind of plays out. I think we were really worried about... You know the elements. I
2: was going to um, say, have you checked the forecast? Yes. About
0: exa- <laughs> exactly. So all of these things we knew would would compromise the 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 overall experience. I mean, it's very different to. Like I was at a beautiful sand installation piece out in in Rua Red recently that Steve Shannon and Shanae Gleason created, um, and it's in a totally controlled space where they can dim the lights. You can lie on the floor. Mm. <laughs> you can really absorb in this kind of spatialized way what's going on so that was the only kind of technical decision that we had to make the only other um uh, thing that, that 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 became a crucial element in its creation was i bought a really unusual synthesizer about two months ago from a, a russian company called soma um and it never does the same thing twice when you turn it cool. on so so i deliberately chose it for its uh indeterminate that's cool <laughs> elements so so it was full of surprises right
1: so well that's, um that's I was just thinking there of, of this kind of uh, stereo mixing and stuff. One of the things I did last year, I think it was part of the Bram Stoker Festival was uh, the Darkfield Radio um experience. Have you done any of those kind of things?
0: I, I listened to it last year. It was amazing. Was this the eternal, the yeah. bed
1: one. Yes. Absolutely terrifying. Yes. Absolutely terrifying. Um Absolutely yes. terrifying. Uh, I think yeah. I, we may have talked about this before, Andre, but the whole idea is you lie in your bed listening to headphones and the um, yeah, yeah, we did the, talk about this last Halloween. Yeah. You were trying
2: yeah, to get that, me to do that
0: it
1: that and I was like no. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scary. No, like
0: I, I nearly I nearly took it off after 10 minutes but I stayed. Yeah, it I was stayed really
1: hard not to. Like it's so real, it's so real and that is a uh, that's a whole yep. other experience and a whole other thing that, you know, we wouldn't uh, be able to do normally and mm-hmm. you wonder then in the future, you know, obviously uh, you know, stereo like Dolby surround sound and all those kind of things aren't really you know taking off in people's houses as much as like they were maybe promised but you know I think there is probably mm-hmm. scope because as as time goes on mixing and producing gets better and then it gets like you know even you're thinking about now the way somebody's phone on a TV screen is just so well mixed and you're just like is that my phone? Yeah. You know, you, know, you <laughs> get those kind of feelings about you know um, sound yeah. mixing and stuff like that but I think there's so much more sure. um, to come in the future which is also very exciting mm. Um so, Matthew, thank you so much for sharing your choices thanks, with thanks and now. talking to us about your work. Thanks, and yeah, pukafestival.com if you want to find out more about Matthew's uh, work. And uh, we will share a link in the show notes as well. So, Matthew, thank you very much. And uh, have a, have thanks, a spooky Andrea. weekend. Well, Yeah. So, uh, that was Matchy Nolan's, uh, thoughts and, and, uh, shares of, uh, horror music and, uh, always good to delve into, um, the Halloween sound season. So, uh, so what else have you been up to Andrea at the moment? I know it is obviously spooky season. I have, I've got a couple of recommendations there from, from Matchy's chat, um, that I might mm-hmm. want to watch soon. Um, so I would, I would be hoping to do that. I've yourself? been watching
2: spooky things. Uh, we were watching films and we've moved back onto TV now. I think I'm just happier when I'm watching TV. Um, so I watched Midnight Mass on Netflix, which is excellent. It's very, 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 very good. It's about a preacher who arrives at a small town uh, island community in America. He's a Catholic. No, he's not a preacher. He's a Catholic priest. Excuse me. And um and miracles start happening or do they spooky spooky really really excellent really well written there are two characters in it who are very boring and you're you're gonna (laughs) just have to for the first couple of episodes they will be talking. it's a man and a woman they will be talking to each other you will want to tear your eyes out although although i think other people found them quite compelling like from what i've seen online people are like oh yeah i love their car i i hated them um but there's more than enough there in the priest and his um helper person. You can tell I haven't been to mass in a long time. What's the per the, you know the person who gives out the, the <laughs> sacrament um yeah, yeah minister of the you, eucharist. Is that it?
1: Minister of the well, eucharist. Well, she's that's it. she's a, oh yeah. she's
2: a a wrong and she's a right wrong and uh, so between the two of them oh, it's very good, very entertaining horror gothic kind of or more horror than gothic and it's what's his name matthew um thingy who did haunting of hill house and haunting of bly manor um i can't remember his name uh and now i've moved on to bly manor which is excellent um really really good so far um Uh, mike flanagan mike flanagan is um i thought bly manor was going to be one thing and it's not at all, like, it's very different mm. to what I thought yeah. it was going to be. It's not near, it's way more gothic than horror, which I like. Um, I don't really like jumpy, scary horrors. And this isn't, this kind of is for, like, the first episode or maybe the first two episodes. And then after that, it's, like, it's just a drama, really. So, um,
1: yeah, I have watched it. I, I'll be honest, I didn't. Uh, okay. Last I'm getting really into episodes, it now. I'm
2: on, like, so, I think uh... going on to episode five. Um and I think it's getting better as it's going on. Um, but do try um midnight mass because it's it's good fun. And I, I think if you grew up in a kind of a okay. Catholic community, um, it'll be that a little bit more rewarding. Um, I reckon. Um, which right. you can't say too many things are. Uh, but besides that, no, I think that's um, that's all the spooking I've been
1: doing. That's all the spooking. Uh, very good. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's plenty. Um, I I have yeah. yeah, I haven't really done gone into spooky mode just yet. But that's because I've been watching Succession from start to finish, and I'm currently caught up again. Uh, yeah, so I was. Mm. I I've been watching Seinfeld
2: again. from start.
1: Oh well, it's scary in its own way for its well, uh, 90s tropes. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, good
2: show. Don't know if anyone's ever heard of Seinfeld, but do give it a go. It. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously uh, we have a Discord as part of uh, the Nine, or 9 Patreon um, service and there's good, good chats in there about Taskmaster and Succession and uh, good use of the spoiler tags as well. Um, <laughs> so I'm very impressed. About, I can't be around a spoiler
2: tag. I keep clicking on them.
1: Yeah, fuck it. What? <laughs> but like
2: I haven't seen I did it for Succession for like the first episode of Succession someone put in a, a a thing with a spoiler tag on it and they were like spoiler new episode of Succession and I immediately clicked on it even though I hadn't seen it. I'm just yeah. really I can't be trusted around a spoiler tag. So I I'm actually just avoiding the um the the telly part. This isn't important. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just a little note about me and my
1: impulses. Listen <laughs> <laughs> this is this is uh we all like to know. This is a uh, episode one hundred and fifty three of the Nine Line is podcast, it? and you know we w- we want to know what you think about <laughs> and how you operate. <laughs> Finally, so if you want to know more about about. um <laughs> Uh, uh andrea's list of uh hopes and fears Um, please come to the discord uh, through <laughs> the patreon.com for the I'll, I'll do a list of my hopes and fears I? <laughs> well you literally you were you've been talking about something about spiders today so. oh yeah i was.
2: <laughs> yeah, i share a bit i share a lot yeah. come on down guys the person's yeah. right um come on down. otherwise we will see you next week um we don't know what we're going to be doing yet but it's going to be good content they
1: don't need to know yes, that it's
2: going to be great we're very organized um, it's and fine. it'll be winter then so that's exciting
1: no nah, not yet we're yeah. not ready for that yet um <laughs>
2: okay see you next week bye right.
1: have a good one have a spook, have a spook, Bye.